Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison and normally, of course, I do the weekend wrap by myself. But given this is an incredibly auspicious day <laughs> in the history of Australia because the 46th Parliament will be dissolved tomorrow morning. Hooray! The Governor-General has been advised to call an election. We've been Yarra Lumlid. And there will be an election on the 21st of May, 2022. So joining me, as you've probably already guessed, is the great, the glorious, the best-selling author and sort of touring extraordinaire, Van Batam. How are you, Van? Literally introduced me the moment I put this very beautiful <laughs> cup of coffee to my lips. Um, as some of you know, I was in beautiful Castlemaine this week for the Dialogues Festival. Had a very fascinating chat with Tim Burrows, John Safran, Julia Banks and Claire G. Coleman about trust uh, mm. in Australian politics, which is awesome. And I thoroughly recommend all of their latest books. Uh, but I also visited... Um, the most amazing place. I went to the Cafe House, which is at the Mill, uh, which is a Viennese breakfast and lunch restaurant, and got some of their coffee. And if I'm in a particularly good mood, it's because I've been drinking their coffee for the past couple of days. So cheers to the coffee. Cheers to the beautiful people of Vienna who just happened to be in Castlemaine. Look, then, trust is going to be a major issue in the election. Uh, we've seen uh, already Morrison and Albanese come out and put their flag in the sand as it, in terms of what the election campaign is going to be about. And we're really fortunate to have you with us today so we can really talk about what this election is going to be about, what are the key things to look out for, what has already been said by Morrison, by Albanese, and what does that tell us about election 2022 and what the 47th parliament of Australia might look like. Well, I, as you know, I might be a pundit, but I'm not a soothsayer. And I think I've maybe said this for every day since 2013 when I started writing a column. Uh, I don't like to predict what will happen, but I think we can make some pretty sharp analysis about how the election is going to be fought. So let's, from the outset, look at where we are at the moment, the polls indicate Labor are roughly on 55 to 45 on the two-party two party preferred, which would be a wipeout. The Labor primary from memory is sitting around 41. Between 38 and 41, depending on which poll you're looking at, it's sort of in that area, yeah. Which is, in Australian terms, absolutely extraordinary. Like That's actually a very high primary and it's much higher than the coalition primary. Obviously, whoever's primary is stronger is in a better position because that means they are less susceptible to the the uh, the you know what they call preference leakage, where yeah. you know Palmer voters who might vote Liberal sort of get confused with the numbers and accidentally vote Labor, and so if the stronger your primary, the better off that you are collecting those kind of votes. We also know that Albanese has drawn with Morrison on preferred Prime Minister, which yeah. is the metric that newspapers like The Australian were holding on to to say that Morrison was still in with a chance. Well, some 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 polls now seem to indicate that Albo is even preferred by a point or two over Morrison. Yeah, so that's margin of error stuff. Yeah. And when we talk about, and Ben and I love margin of error <laughs> because margin of error is basically like a 3% window where things could go very wrong. Yeah. And obviously with the last federal election, the polls tightened, the closer we got to the polls, and the the Labor loss uh, was, you know, the polls were within the margin of error. 
Yeah, yeah. I think the polls last time, and there's been lots of changes to the way the polls are done, and lots more hesitancy, lots more caveats around polls are a snapshot in time. They tell you where things are at, not where things will be. They're not predictions, so on and so forth, and all the rest of it. And we know twenty percent of Australians make up their mind on the day. In the line. In the line, getting a sausage, seeing how people behave at the polls. Can you imagine that? The democracy sausage isn't quite up to snuff, so you decide you're in a bad mood, decide to vote against the government. Yeah. I mean, that can happen. That can happen. I mean, this is, but this is the wonder of- um, Universal enfranchisement. I love universal enfranchisement. Why are we not nuts like America? The answer is universal enfranchisement. We're an entirely different kind of nuts. <laughs> anyway, um, I so that's where we're at. So Albanese is in a really good position. Why is Albanese in a really good position? Well, because the Morrison government is a dumpster fire basket case, total and utter clown show. I think to quote Richard Miles on Insiders this morning, it is a bin fire. It, it is a bin fire. If somebody had also copiously spewed amounts of spaghetti bolognese into that bin fire while it was happening, it's messy. You don't really know what the pieces are. Um, theoretically, Morrison's in charge, but there's all of this weird business going on with Liberal pre-selections in New South Wales. Yeah. So there, there's been all kinds of internal factional positioning well, going on. That's right. Since we last spoke on Wednesday, of course, Morrison has won his High Court case to validate his decision to basically take over the New South Wales branch of the Liberal Party. He's installed candidates, but there are now candidates for federal parliament who have been a candidate for less than 72 hours officially. And uh, are now running in the election. And are now running in an election, which will so, happen in six weeks. Yeah, one wonders, have their pamphlets been printed? or well, we got a we got a pamphlet for our local Liberal candidate. He's a, he a staggeringly unimpressive man, the other guy. <laughs> but it is it is interesting to think about the that New South Wales is such a bin fire, the Morrison government is such a bin fire, of course, media commentary is hesitant to kind of predict winners. We're hesitant to predict winners, but there are some. There are some key. You wonder why the sound of our tears in May 2019 still echoing throughout the universe. Again, to quote Richard Miles, uh, the, the, there are many people uh, from 2019 who have PTSD. Is what he referred to, I think, in uh, in Ellen Insiders today. Did you describe us all as post-poll? Something like that. Or did I imagine No, no, I think we're all post-poll. But there are some really key uh, battlegrounds as well, right? And some of them are in New South Wales. So we know that Banks, Robertson, Reid, Lindsay are all seats where Labor will be going after uh, uh, the Liberals. We know that in uh, Edmonero, DeBell, Macquarie and Gilmore, the Liberals will be trying to get Labor seats. So there's a bit of potential backwards and forwards in New South Wales. But at the same time, the Liberals also have problems in North Sydney with an independent and Wentworth, obviously, with an independent uh Allegra against- Spender, who yeah. is, of course, the scion of a formerly very powerful Liberal Party family and who is being amply supported by the kind of people in Wentworth who supported Karen Phelps and who traditionally the providers who have loads of money. Let's remember Wentworth is not only one of the richest places in New South Wales, but one of the richest places in the world. So so there's a lot of there will be a lot of focus on New South Wales in this federal election campaign, not just because of the of the bin fire that is the New South Wales Liberal Party. Or the complete New South Wales-centric nature of the Morrison government who seem to think New South Wales is the whole country. Well, because there is actually 
a number of battleground seats. And, you know, Van, Elbow is in a pretty decent position, not just because of the polls and the, the dysfunctional nature of the Morrison government. Because he's from New deficit, South Wales and has been a household name there for years. And because, of course, he only needs to win seven seats. He's on 69 seats. And he needs 76. And he needs 76 to win. Morrison only has 76. That includes giving him, I think, Hughes. Uh, but he he needs to hold. Hughes is Craig Kelly's seat around Menai in southwestern Sydney. Which is widely predicted to go back to the Liberals. Yeah, wi- wild, widely because yeah. Craig Ke- Kelly is Craig Kelly. Yeah, and he's actually spending more of his time campaigning outside the seat than in the seat, which is odd for a man who really needs to be in that seat. But so there is there's a lot of things going in Albo's way when it comes to New South Wales. We know there are other battlegrounds as well, though. WA is a genuine battleground this time round. We know that Hasluck, Pierce, Swan, uh, Sterling, uh, Tangy are all seats that may may flip. And this is interesting. So Pierce, there was some some word before the last election in 2019 that Pierce was not as safe as it seemed. There's mm. been demographic change, but of course the issue in Pierce is that it's currently held by Christian Porter, who is. Who's had a very interesting couple of years. Yeah, and who's, of course, retiring from politics, uh, no small part due to the the kind of the allegations raised against him, um, both in terms of his pre-electoral uh, life but also with the uh, blind trust. Million-dollar blind trust. All these sorts Not of things. Not disclosed who put a million dollars into saving Christian Porter. So in WA, the margins that those seats are held by are, are larger than some of those New South Wales seats. But, of course, we also saw the huge swing towards Labor at the state election. And the absolutely, like, deity-like popularity of Mark McGowan. There are literally mainstream religions that are less popular <laughs> in the state of WA. Don't tell Mark McGowan that. Than Mark McGowan. <laughs> but I think I think the thing there is, right, that, that Labor doesn't need the full McGowan effect to get two or three of those six seats that I named, it, it sort of only needs to get sort of half the McGowan effect to wash over and, and help Elbow pick up a few seats there. So, you know, if you say you get two or three seats out of WA, you know, even if New South Wales is a wash, there are still heaps of other battlegrounds here. You know, Queensland, everybody always talks about Queensland, but I think at this election we're, we're facing an opportunity where New South Wales might actually cancel out Queensland or Queensland might cancel out New South Wales. Look, Queensland is one of the most electorally unpredictable parts of Australia. I mean, we saw those big swings towards Morrison in the last federal election. At the same time, they comfortably re-elected and extended the majority of the Palaszczuk Labor government. You know, it is... It is really unpredictable there and Queenslanders, you know, in times gone by have had these massive victories like Campbell Newman who at one point was Liberal, whose mother, of course, was Jocelyn Newman, former Liberal Cabinet Minister in the Howard Government who I protested consistently for the entire period of that government. Um, Absolutely, you know, horrendous political identity. So Campbell Newman had that unbelievable victory where he won, what, 81 out of 90 seats and- Yeah, he won a huge- yeah, and, you know, and then he lost the next election. And then he lost the next election. Yeah. So Queensland, you can, and now he's, of course, running, is he a Liberal Democrat or One Nation? I can never remember. One yeah, one. I think it's Lib Dem, yeah. Yes, yeah. which flavour of right-wing loon are you? Yeah, so he posted a big uh, photo of a big billboard going, 
yes, it's him, yes, he's back. And somebody went, I can't tell if this is pro or anti because, <laughs> you know, he's really – he became so on the nose that Labor's – you know, was flooded back into parliament, flooded back into government. He shut down sexual health clinics. Oh, and he sacked Literally nurses. Shut and- down sexual health clinics. There is an entire generation of Queenslanders who were denied yeah, yeah. timely medical care around, you know, like. Yeah. But I think, I think Van, Van, the point is that. Queensland- I wouldn't forgive him. No, can I just say? I can tell. In that situation, I can tell. I'd just be like, let's yeah. just think that through, everyone. Yeah, I can tell. So I think a lot of people though the point is in Queensland, can change their views pretty wildly, right? Capriciously. They're a um, capricious mob. We love so you, got, Queensland. Don't change. So you've got Longman, Brisbane, Leichhardt, Ryan, Petrie, Ford. These are all seats. Flynn. F- Flynn. These are all seats where there's likely to be quite a lot of backwards and forwards. Dawson could be interesting. Capricornia can be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, in, in Dawson, George Christensen is officially retiring, uh, although I did see that a Dawson uh, Candidates Forum had George Christensen as a special guest presenter, which somebody quite rightly, I think, pointed out, that's normally the sort of thing that maybe an independent would do rather than some, you know, who knows with George Christensen. Yeah. Look, I think the only people who really know George Christensen are the people who, uh, you know, run his ASIO file. But um, anyway, the moving Russian. moving on, moving on, because there's there's a whole bunch of seats um, up f- for grabs, surprisingly up for grabs in a way in Victoria as well. Victoria is sort of at a high watermark for the number of seats that a Labor opposition has held, but Chisholm is definitely on Labor's radar. Our friend Karina Garland is the Labor candidate for Chisholm, you've superb got, human being. You've got Casey, Latrobe and Deakin. Like it takes, a, it takes a big swing to get Deakin for Labor, but again, we saw Dan Andrews get a massive swing at a state level that, and it would have picked up those seats. But also Aston. Another seat. Because it's Alan Tudge's seat. Yeah, that's right. And our friend Mary Doyle. Our friend Mary Doyle, who I've got to say, if you live anywhere near the seat of Aston, she's doing karaoke fundraisers. And, you know, wherever It's worth the price of admission. Yeah, whatever your political sympathies are, I would go because she really belts out Adele. It's a really, it's a really fun, fun thing to see. She does. She leads all the singing at trade union events. At the same time, you've got the Liberals trying to target Karangamite, pick that back up. Uh, trying to get Dunkley, so they're they're trying to pick up some seats. Uh, Dunkley's Peter Murphy seat, and at the same time trying to win Indi off Helen Hines, an independent. Hines, sorry, Helen Hines, um, and our friend Nadia David, good Labor woman, running as the Labor candidate in Indi. Lots of good horse content on her <laughs> Facebook page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, also two very high profile independent. Uh, campaigns being run against inner city liberals in both Higgins and Goldstein. And Goldstein is the interesting one there. So Zoe Daniel, who's a former ABC presenter, is running as a teal, yep. sort of yeah, yep. blue-green um, independent. And, of course, her opponent is Tim Wilson. Tim Wilson. Not exactly the most popular 
uh, member of of the government. I don't think anybody who's ever had the nickname Freedom Boy could be described as popular. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. And as somebody who has been repeatedly patronised to their face by Tim Wilson, one does wonder really what his electoral instincts are. Because I was once told, you know, everybody – Everybody you meet is a potential vote. Everybody you know is a potential member, and that's a that's how yeah. you approach politics. Yeah, he doesn't doesn't really have that sort of friendly compulsion within him. Tim Wilson, I think, is probably the best way, or certainly not towards and of course, me. And of course, Tim Wilson very famously was sort of at the front or the cutting edge or the tip of the spear about the 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 lies around retiree tax and death tax, and he used his parliamentary position to run a committee process that was really just a, a, a shadow campaign mechanism mm. to go around the country and talk about those things before the last election. We've seen him continue his attacks on superannuation, continue. There was somebody posted a really great photo of Tim Wilson posing um, in uh, like a flak jacket in front of- uh, a, a tank or a bushmaster. A, a bushmaster, I think it was, which is an Australian-built- um, uh, piece Combat of military machinery, yeah, uh, and put alongside that a picture of Zoe Daniels in her flak jacket when she was actually a foreign correspondent, actually in a war zone, <laughs> and going, do you, do you want the toy soldier or the real soldier? One of these things is not like the other. And I've got to say, when you look at the Zoe Daniel uh, campaign rally photo, it was there from yesterday or this morning, huge turnout. Like, I, I, I mean- I've always been a bit sceptical, as you know, Van, about independence and their capacity to win, particularly non-rural seats. In rural Australia, there's a very different feel to independence because yeah. it's usually someone who's been active in the community locally for 40-plus years, done everything, knows everybody. It's a very different feel. In the metro area, you know, I don't know Zoe Daniels' connection to Goldstein, but she's clearly – struck a nerve with people there because those photos, those rally numbers are huge. Oh, it's extraordinary. It's like a rock concert. Yeah. They're massive. I think Ben has shared some of them on Twitter today of the massive crowds. And, you know, this was the secret of the Zali Stegall campaign yeah. that she mobilised people and they went out and they door knocked for her. And these are wealthy electorates. They've got the money to resource all the bits yeah. and bobs. They've all got the T-shirt. And They've all you, got the flyer. You can see. Yeah. Sea and, of, of course, deal. Tim Wilson made himself very unpopular again by pursuing this is freedom boy, Mr. Free Speech. You know, the free, Mr. Free Speech yeah. who ate, famously ate a McDonald's hamburger outside that McDonald's that the locals were petitioning to not have built there. Oh. And, um, yeah, so, and, and, you know, the freedom, the freedom of enterprise, yeah. freedom this, freedom that, campaigned to for against Zoe Daniels' people being able to put up Zoe Daniels' election material at their houses because he's so committed to free speech. Um, Josh Bornstein, uh, obviously one of our great friends and heroes, had this perfect tweet yesterday, which was of Tim Wilson in his flat jacket doing a bit yeah. of like army cosplay standing outside a Bushmaster and Bornstein captured captioned it with um, Tim Wilson preparing to door knock in Goldstein today, <laughs> which I thought said much. So, so that mean, is interesting. That will be an interesting seat. And, of course, you know, these these independent campaigns, they what they mean for Morrison is that that's one less seat you can count on to form government because he's he's only got he's got no margin of error here. He's got to win all of the seats that he's got 
or for every seat that he loses, whether it's to Labor and Independent, to whoever he loses it to, he's got to find another seat somewhere in order to form government. Well, I mean, yes and no, because what I want people to remember about the independents, one of the things that happens with independent campaigns, and certainly when I was a young and naive person, like I had, you know, this mindset that independents are genuinely independent and they make up their mind on all the individual issues and they don't. No. They don't. Because they, like anybody else, are dependent on the resources that get invested into them and somebody whose campaign is paid for by people who ordinarily will give a lot of money to the Liberal Party are somebody who in some capacity is going to have to represent those Liberal values, like especially to get elected in that seat. When you're winning safe Liberal or national seats from those communities, you have to reflect the politics of those communities. But it is still harder for Morrison to form government, isn't it? Because we saw when Gillard had a hung parliament, we did see some conservative rural independents back Tony in. Windsor and Rob Oshot, who also got destroyed in the election that came after that particular that decision. That is true. And no independent is going to forget that. Now, I'm a fan of Cathy McGowan. I think she's a great person. Yeah. But she backed in and she's obviously the independent who won the seat of Indi from Sophie Mirabella. And I campaigned for Cathy because Sophie Mirabella is- Yeah, yeah, it's awful. Yeah, just a totally abhorrent fair political work, entity. Fair work, deputy president. No yeah. way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the Liberal Party is the party of business, Job which is life. why they always need to stay on the government seat forever. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, and obviously I campaigned for Cathy because, you know. Yeah, Mirabelle had to go. But at the same time, Cathy McGowan backed in the Liberal government, like she guaranteed supply. Yeah, yeah. You know, she supported their industrial relations laws, like, Those are things that happened. And I think what happens with a lot of people is they think that the independent will reflect all of their values. And I'm saying this a lot on Twitter, like people who would consider themselves progressive and quite right on, who get these fantasies that these independents are all going to be progressives and suddenly habitually centre-right seats will become left-wing seats. And it's like that's not not how how that works. And and we shouldn't be under any illusions about that. I suppose my point is that, you know, for Morrison to form government in his own right, that mm. is a coalition between Liberal and Nationals, he he wants 76 seats that are held by Liberals, Nationals, LNP or Country Liberal Party. Who are he's all the same got, thing. Yeah, he's already got four brands, right? He, he The last thing he wants is to try and then get, you know, Allegra Spender in Wentworth. I don't even know who the independent is in North Sydney. Uh, I should know. But, you know, to, 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 to try and then have to get four or five independents as well would be mm. a big, big ask. And what it means for Labor is that, you know, there's not much chance that the Labor candidate is going to win in Goldstein, right? No. Like, you know, with all due respect to them. And it means that Labor can go, okay, look, we're going to run a candidate. Of course we are. We run a candidate in every seat, something I'm very proud of as a Labor member, that we do that. But we are going to focus on seats like Banks and Robertson, like Reed, like Ryan, Petrie, Longman, you know, South Australia, Boothby. We saw on the news today that, that you know, there are people in South Australia who think Boothby is just 
lost to Labor um, and that Sturt is now in play for Labor as well. Uh, we know Gray. Boothby lost to Labor. Yeah, that the Liberals are going to lose Boothby. Like that's the. That's oh right, the, okay. Yeah, so yeah, so, so Labor a great chance of Boothby. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, sorry, that the Liberals will lose Boothby to Labor. Um, that that in fact the numbers are moving in Sturt as well, which has been traditionally a Liberal seat. Christopher Pine's old seat. Of Christopher Pine's old seat, and Gray in fact may have an independent. Uh, that gives the the Liberal there a run for their money. Well, people always ask me, like, I'm a Labor person, but there's a strong independent, what should I do? And my answer is you vote for the Labor Party. Yeah. You vote for the Labor Party because, for one, the Australian Electoral Commission gives money yeah. to your party. Uh, as long as Based you make over 5% vote. of the primary vote, you get your deposit back and then you get a per vote amount of money. And I much prefer the Labor Party getting money for people from people who vote for them as opposed to having to go out and ask for money. Yeah. Like, quite honestly, yeah, yeah, that's a really important thing. Yes. Yeah. But also a really strong Labor vote in those seats is something you want to build on and be part of. That's what I always think. Would I preference an independent in those seats? Oh, yes. Over the Liberal Party... Every time, providing they're not one of those independents who, you know, wants to hunt feminists at midnight. Yeah, and yeah. And in our are... seat, we occasionally get some of those, <laughs> don't we, Ben? And, and look, there are some independents who uh, are just either perennial candidates or are, you know, secretly um, United Australia Party people. Or secretly or liberals. Secretly liberals or secretly some other form of really awful neo-fascist. Um, you know, rise up Australia. We'll see, we'll see the... the, the the grand and glorious zoo that is Australian democracy on the ballot paper in various places around the country. We always do. But I think the point that I take away from that conversation is to say, you know, put Labor one, put the Liberals last and order the rest of the zoo according to your preference. Like that's actually the way to think of it. And people go, oh, but you can't, you know, what about One Nation? They're worse than Liberals. It's like, yeah, undoubtedly, Pauline Hanson, and her views are more repugnant than Morrison's. I am less scared of invasion by alien lizards than I am of One Nation. Well, absolutely, absolutely. But the point is, Pauline Hanson is not going to get a parliamentary majority and become Prime Minister. No, she isn't. And there's no risk of that. And so putting her, if there's six people on the ballot paper, putting the Liberal candidate who, if they were elected, would return Scott Morrison as Prime Minister, putting them sixth, putting the One Nation candidate fifth, then whoever, who, independent, green, Labor, that makes sure Scott Morrison does not get that seat. Yeah. And that's ultimately what parliamentary majorities and forming government is actually about. Yeah, so our electoral advice for the best possible outcome, we're not ashamed to say it, is vote one Labor, put the Liberals last. Yeah. And then you can go from less evil to more evil yeah. in descending order. But, I mean, and that's a really important thing to remember because it does, electoral messages can be really complicated uh, to explain to people. Um, there are a huge percentage of Australians who are busy, tired, disinterested, many, many things. They still all vote yep. because we have universal enfranchisement. And it's not the time for, oh, who's more evil? Is it One Nation or is it they're eating babies' faces party? Like, they're, of course, they're evil. Yeah. Put them down the bottom. You could only keep the Liberal Party, which is the most clear and present danger. In my spiritual community, we have a saying, 
tackle your problems in the order of which they will kill you. And at the moment, the greatest political threat is the re-election of Scott Morrison because the world is unsafe. It's a dangerous place. There's a land war in Europe. And if Scott Morrison is in charge when anything serious goes wrong, we know what happens. Disaster. We do. And look, we're going to get into the policy side of things. Let me just round off the the round the round the grounds here because Tasmania is going to be an interesting interesting place. Tasmania, uh, the Liberal Premier of Tasmania, Peter Gutwin, has resigned. It, it means that the chaos of the Labor Party that they've been experiencing is now matched by the chaos of the Liberal Party. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what that does to the political brands in Tasmania. It's the Deputy Prime Minister of Tasmania. Deputy Prime Minister. Deputy Premier of Tasmania has become so terribly wrong. Um, The Deputy Premier of Tasmania (laughs) is is, now the leader. And it is a small state and, and- you Still know. has six senators, though. Yeah. Or oh, 12 it, senators, sorry. Yeah, then six will be up for election this time. Um, it, this may be the election where Erica Betts finally leaves parliament, by the way. I'm not going to believe it, it until that happens. <laughs> He's seriously but, like Dracula. He just but, keeps coming back. But there is some, there is two, two or three seats that are actually very interesting to watch uh, out of, I think there's five seats in, in Tasmania. Bass, Braddon, and Lyons. Bass and Braddon uh, changed hands at the last election and helped Morrison form parliamentary majority. Uh, Lyons stayed Labor. Uh, there is undoubtedly liberal targeting going on in Lyons to try and win that seat, and partly because of a, a perception that there is a damaged Labor brand in the state of Tasmania. Now, whether the chaos in the Liberal Party uh, that has come about since Gutman's uh, stepping down, or that seen as a smooth transition, or how that's perceived, and of course you've got the Lambie factor as well in Tasmania. So it's a for a relatively small and number a slightly of higher Greens vote, yeah, in Tasmania. So that could be interesting. So it'll be it'll be one of those things. Uh, I think you know we'll see the Northern Territory as well. We've got Lingari, uh, which has been Labor for a very long time. Uh, and, of course, the Labor MP is retiring, so the country Liberal Party seem to think they've got a chance. I'm not as uh, I'm not as confident that that's a real thing than it is just something they feel they've got to say. And, of course, the country Liberal Party senator, uh, uh, who was not endorsed for this election, uh, is now running as a Liberal Democrat as well. So there's a bit of chaos on the Morrison side of the fence in in Northern Territory. And, of course, Labor has a strong local candidate and you would expect, well, I would expect that with the polls the way they are and the general sense of a swing towards Labor, it's unlikely that Lingari will go Liberal, but you never know. And there's also, I mean, not that this affects government, so hopefully everybody listening to this show knows, but if you don't, we're happy to explain it to you without judgment, that government is formed in the lower house. So Australia is a collection of 151 single-member constituencies, so yeah. your local area elects one person. Whoever gets 76 or can put gather 76 votes somehow becomes the government. So the number of senators you get is irrelevant to who gets to be government. But there are some interesting things going on in the Senate. Uh, Labor have replaced the recently deceased Kimberly Kitching with Yana Stewart, yep. who's lovely, who ran in... at the last election and did particularly well. She's a First Nations woman. She's young. She's exciting. Um, Very sensible Senate pick in in, uh, my belief. Um, But Zed Sezelja, who's very hard right, liberal guy from Canberra. Canberra only gets two senators. Territories only get two. Territory, Terry. 
Um, he's under some pressure because former rugby international David Pocock is running in Canberra and he's a rugby guy, which eats into the Liberal vote, let's be honest, yeah. um, and, you know, an environmentalist and sort of he's as teal as a Senate candidate gets and there's some talk that that could be putting Zed under pressure. Look, I've seen lots of campaigns to try and knock off uh, Zed and that and and to knock off that Liberal Senate seat over the years. I have to say most of them don't amount to much. David Pocock is probably the highest profile individual to have a go at it. Uh, and I think if anyone is going to have a real chance, it probably is is Pocock. Uh, I would say to anyone listening from the ACT who's going, oh, I, I'd normally vote Labor, but maybe I'll vote Pocock. No, no, please vote Labor. Vote one Labor, lower house and in the Senate. Make sure you do that. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting. Of course, we know that when there are swings, it does impact the Senate vote. We saw last time Labor lost a senator in Queensland because the swing against Labor was so strong in Queensland that the primary vote dropped and people weren't voting for Labor in the Senate. So there's lots of lots of machinations to be taken into account. But, Van, we've now, you know, there's going to be lots of seats to look at. There'll be lots for us to discuss over the course of the mm. next six weeks. Today, Morrison, of course, gave his kind of opening salvo and then uh, this afternoon uh, Anthony Albanese responded. Morrison uh, seemed to say we're not perfect. He did say we're not perfect. We're not a perfect government. We're not a perfect government. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that. But it's almost as though he's trying to disarm criticism by, by almost saying, you know, well, of course we're not perfect, but neither are you, uh, and you don't want to take a risk with someone else better than the devil you know, a real better than the devil you know. It is, kind of it is kind of incredible. So, like, Scott Morrison's pitch today was absolutely on brand for Scott Morrison, blustering, smarmy, smug and full of lies. It started with this whole I love Australia and I love Australians so much, which is a really interesting comment from somebody I remember quite tangibly uh, abandoned this country when it was on fire. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not really buying the I love Australia and Australians no. so much line. And I don't know if a lot of people you really say, are. People in the Northern Rivers, people in Queensland who've just experienced floods, people who were told there'll be no wage subsidy, go to Centrelink, people who've been, you know, had their uh, COVID uh, uh, um, supplement cut early while we're still in a pandemic, like people who've lost family members because of the disaster in aged care. I'm not sure any of those people would go there the actions of a leader who loves us. Like, no. You know, the kind of- He's not Zelensky, is he? No, it's a no. real sense of abandonment. Like he sided with Clive Palmer against Mark McGowan during the pandemic. And that'll be interesting to see how that affects him in WA because it has really affected Palmer in WA. Yeah. Uh, they, there was a punishment of Palmer from voters in the last state election in WA. Basically got just decimated, right? Absolutely. I mean, why wouldn't you? Because it's not that's not a political party. That's, you know, a corporate interest front. Um, so that is interesting. But the line that the Liberals are running, everybody gets it, is that Labor are a risk 
Labor are risk. They're risky. You don't know what Labor are going to do. Inter- and these- interesting that our CFA uh, alarm that you can hear in the background is going off while we talk about Morrison's view that Labor's a risk. Yeah, but it was really interesting because he was like, it's either the government you know or the Labor you don't. So I have tweeted a map of what state governments look like in yeah. Australia at the moment. Yeah. The only two state or territory governments left with Liberals in them are New South Wales, which, by the way, Bin is- fire. Been fire and in minority government. Now, people forget this. Yeah. The Liberals are hanging on because of the votes of crossbench independents, would you imagine, yeah, yeah. in that state and in Tasmania, who have, of course, just lost their leader. For like the third time in two years or something. It's right? pretty funny, but it was just like the overwhelming majority of Australians are governed by extremely popular Labor state governments. So it's sort of odd to go, wow, what do you really know about these people? Um, and it's to play into this media narrative, and I don't even know where this came from, that Anthony Albanese, do you really know him? And it's like, well, he has been a member of parliament for 25 years. He was a deputy prime minister and he's hosted Rage. So I think he's probably got... <laughs> a much higher sort of brand recognition than you'd think, not to mention this is a person whose nickname was given to him, not focus grouped and adopted. Yeah. So, you know, that tends to to imply that he, he has more of a, a grasp on it. So I, the lines- I, I remember going to events with D, DJ Elbow. Like it was, you know- Yeah, he, we, went to, we went to a party at Trades Hall that was excellent. Yeah, yeah. He cracked out some Taylor Swift, <laughs> which nobody was expecting in quite yeah. a Billy Bragg-friendly kind of environment. Yet dance we did. Um, you might notice on the wall we have our elbow, I just want to fight Tories, that's what I do, memorial T-shirt. But- Yeah, so that's kind of amazing. But they're running the typical, oh, yes, well, so Morrison just spewed out all these lies about the Mm. economy. Oh, we've never, Australians have never had it so good and we've just done this amazing economic management and the Labor Party will just wreck it all because they spend, spend, spend. And it's like you spent money on sports rorts, you spent money on car parks, you spent money on a Great Barrier Reef Authority and yet we've just had like our 700,000th coral, be- coral bleaching event in the past 10 minutes. But it's, but it's also things like it's also things like giving money to Harvey Norman, giving money to other profitable companies, giving money to liberal donors for defence contracts when they don't have any staff or, or offices. assets. Or- like it's it's giving having to give $5.5 billion to France for subs that we're now not getting. Like- the, the concept that the Liberals are somehow better at managing the, the, the budget is so wrong and bizarre. Like it's, it, it, it's a, it's a f- philosophical thing that seems to have come about really under Howard and Costello, you know, and Costello was basically just giving everyone a tax cut every year and it's all fine and dandy because we have mining booms and housing booms and boom, 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 boom. Everybody gets a slice of little tiny slice of the pie. Of course, mum and dad invested. Yeah, but of course, what we know, what we can see really, really clearly in the economy is that it's not actually working. For ordinary people. No, of course not. Wages have been cut, job insecurity is at all time highs. Childcare is insanely expensive and effectively punishes family families for having two people working. We know that um, aged care, you know, there are nursing homes without nurses, right? There are there are care homes without carers. Like the, the situation has become Almost dystopian, really. And for oh, Morrison to stand up and the say the chaos in universities, yeah, um, the cha- the absolute chronic underfunding of state schools, where the overwhelming majority of Australians are educated. The fact that the the, the national narrative around 
skill shortages or labour shortages or um, that there are some pockets of some sectors that require people uh, to come and work there, but they don't want to put up wages. They're not prepared to put up wages to get people to, to take those jobs, whether they're in aged care or hospitality or retail, or whatever it might be, where they say there's a shortage, that the only solution in the narrative, the national narrative is about how quickly we can get more temporary migrant workers to yeah, come to Yeah, guest workers from overseas. Like People who are less likely to be unionised, don't even know how to get unionised in Australia, can be marginalised and exploited really easily. And have no voting rights. And have no voting rights. So it can't be part of the Labor decisions that affect them. It's a, it's a, like, it's bizarre that you would go to the public and say, on this basis, we are better at managing the economy. Your wages are lower, your jobs are more insecure, you have less skills, uh, and we are overall uh, poorer as a nation uh, at a household level. Oh, and we've racked up more debt than Australia's ever seen in the history of the Commonwealth. Um, so vote for us to manage the economy against a guy who managed an infrastructure budget of $65 billion a year. That was Albo. That was Albo, who has been Deputy Prime Minister. Albo. Who was Acting Prime Minister. Albo. Who's been in Parliament for 26 years. Albo. And who successfully managed the largest legislative agenda of any government since up to- Since the Curtin government. Since the Curtin government. Albo. As a minority government. That's that's a pretty phenomenal record. Oh, yeah, and-, and- Oh, it, it is, it's pretty extraordinary. Like, it is extraordinary. And we're just in a situation that this election is going to come down to trust. Do you trust Scott Morrison? Because Scott Morrison lied in his pitch today. Yeah. And as somebody's just written a book about the fact that people will believe anything if they really want to believe it, yeah. I think the question ahead of this election is how much do people still want to believe in the lies that Scott Morrison sells them? Because people's living standards are going backwards. It is really, really hard. I wrote an article for The Guardian last week, in the in this past week, that was about women and about how like working women are unbelievably stressed out because you are supposed to be like you are supposed to manage a perfect household and keep yourself fit and stay beautiful and, you know, be this sort of perfect consumer and work and have a perfect relationship and be sexually empowered and do this and do that. And it's totally exhausting. More women than ever are presenting with anxiety disorders and performance anxiety around their lives. And I got hundreds of messages from women going, yes, this is me. I'm so tired. I'm so stressed out. I can't meet all the expectations of just functioning. I'm caring for my children and my parents and holding down a job and trying to run my relationship and the rest of it. And it's like, let's, why don't we attack the substance, not the shadow? It's not individual women who are failing. It's a country that is not providing adequate aged care, that is not providing adequate childcare, in which educational resources of anybody in the state system are incredibly stretched. And families are feeling that pressure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it it's really it's really telling that Morrison didn't talk about any substantial policy issues in the launch. It was all about He hasn't spoken about substantial policy issues in three years. And and fundamentally, you know, Albo got up this afternoon and talked about you know, we want to build a better future. We want, you know, aged care, childcare, Medicare. We want secure jobs. We want increasing wages. And he outlined a whole bunch of mechanisms about how we would do that. And he was able to do that because he stood there 
for 35 minutes and took questions from journalists. Oh, this was a really interesting point of difference. So Morrison gets up and tells everybody that he loves us, says that his government's great and is going to run on their record. I almost yeah. fell off my chair when he said, we're going to run on our record. And I was like, of what? Like sports yeah. frauds or car pork? Like, yeah. And, and let's um, be clear, like, can I, I just, I want to, I want to nail this, right? Because it's, I want to nail this because it's actually really important that people understand that the economic management issue, Morrison hasn't managed the economy. He has been the beneficiary of skyrocketing coal prices, skyrocketing gas prices, skyrocketing oil prices, you know, skyrocketing iron ore prices. The, the situation with the budget and where we are with the budget is only as strong as it is, in inverted commas, because of global commodity markets. Mm. And he is, to run on his record, he is literally the guy who rocks up to work, sits down, touches nothing, and people come in and empty their pockets. That's what's been going on for the budget in the last 12 months. His record is the guy who has been blowing money, as you say, on all the rorts, all the pork barrels. Oh, the JobKeeper stuff. Like millions, tens of millions of dollars yeah. given to, consistently, corporate Liberal Party donors. And we know that. Yeah. Like yeah. that's a matter of record. And then we're supposed to pretend that he really loves this country and that electing a Labor government is a risk. Well, I think Labor's really on top of their messaging because oh, the other thing about Morrison, and this was quite significant, was that he took questions, but he only took like three or four. He did yeah. five minutes of questions. And the first person he took a question from was his friend Phil Kilry. And it was literally Phil at the end of his little. It wasn't bit. funny. It was like, and now take questions, Phil. <laughs> it, it was literally that. And they were sort of weird questions as well. And then, of course, he departed through the doors by himself in yeah. that typical Scott Morrison kind of way. What Albanese did, of course, was told the press that everyone could have a go and took 35 minutes of questions until they ran out of questions. And it was just like this really good point of comparison. And I think a really interesting thing has happened to Albanese in the past few months, and I've written about this as well, that he's had a number of things that have happened to him politically that have changed his public persona and given him a sort of momentum. Like you and I have discussed before that he, you could see, this was a man who always wanted to be leader of the Labor Party and yeah. he was the dog that caught the car. Like yeah. he got to be leader of the Labor Party. Yeah. But a few months ago, something just switched. Well, people say, and he has said that when he was in that car accident, remember he was in that car accident, a, a Land Rover or a Range Rover, whatever it was, smashed into his car and, like, the airbags saved his life. Yeah. Like the, and the paramedics were like, yeah, you're lucky you had a modern car because if this had been a, an old clunker, you, you'd be in the ground. But the, the word is that Albanese has more confidence because the factional division in the Labor Party has settled down yeah. and he feels as if his leadership is not being assailed from within. That makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and you can compare that to our friend Scott Morrison, who has cabinet members leaking against him, calling him a complete psycho and a terrible, yeah. terrible person. And that, I mean, you've got to... You've got to know your team have your back. And when you have that confidence, it does make a difference. So the car accident, the losing weight, the makeover, the fact that he's decided, and I've said this before, you know, the the mistake of I think of the Shorten campaign was that whoever was advising Shorten 
advice shortened not to be shortened. Shorten was the hero of Beaconsfield, an AWU guy, a guy who was always more like confident and more in his element, speaking to working people than, you know, pretending to live yeah. apart from them. And I wish that in the shortened campaign that we had seen more of him in the workplaces where he's organised workers, where he can speak to people, but that didn't happen for whatever reason. Whereas Albo, who is an inner city lefty, you know, who's Sydney Uni, student politics through and through, has sort of embraced the fact that he is the member for Graindler. Yeah. You know, he does represent hipsters. He's got the hipster glasses. He's got the suit. He's got the haircut. And he looks like what he is. You compare that to Morrison, who, you know, dresses up. He'd dress up as your mum if he thought it would win him an extra vote. Good luck, yeah. Mr. Morrison. And I just think that the that image of Albo going, you may not being you may not be an inner city lefty, but I am. Yeah. That's really, I mean, that's reassuring. That's the sort of new and, sincerity. And one of the things that I really found interesting about one of the th- the way he approached his press conference today was that he quite comfortably and easily spoke about business, about unions, about p- business peak bodies, about the National Farmers Federation, about bringing people together. And sometimes, you know, we've heard a lot of people talk about that. You're talking that about multi-stakeholder engagement, Ben? Yeah. I mean, we've heard a lot of people talk about this stuff. But most of the time, frankly, when they're talking about it, you can kind of tell which side they're on because their voice kind of clips onto one bit or another, right? So when Morrison talks, he talks about business and small business. And business and small business. And he'll sort of sometimes he'll talk about working Australians I don't think I've really heard him talk about unions since the start of the pandemic in any kind of positive way, right? So whereas with Elbow, it really did seem like here is a guy who, yeah, as you say, he's dressed how he is because of who he is, but he's got a view about bringing people together wherever wherever they're from, right? Well, these were the politics that made the Accord so popular and as much as I had to hate to break a thad to a lot of people who insist the end of Australian progressivism was the Accord and I have my criticisms of the Accord, yeah, everybody yeah, does, yeah. but the Accord under Hawke and Keating was insanely popular and actually gave working-class families in Australia opportunities they had never experienced before, like the opportunity of getting into technical and further education and going to university because it was expanded and all of these things. So the whole idea of this, you know, broader national conversation that involves business and unions and the National Farmers Federation and, you know, NGOs and multi-stakeholder engagement actually means an approach to, uh, you know, policy management and implementation which is inclusive and represents the democratic ideal. Because, of course, we saw during the pandemic that, you know, when unions and working people and NGOs were calling for a wage subsidy, Morrison told the Australian people there'll be no wage subsidy, go to Senate. And now he's claiming that is the great achievement of his government, which I and, find hilarious. And the irony is, Van, that he did it because Harvey Norman and Solomon Liu rang Josh Frydenberg and said, we need, to, we need something, we need something, we need something. And so- he, they worked with the companies to create JobKeeper. So instead of a wage subsidy program that had the multi-stakeholder input that was designed to meet the needs of the Australian people and the Commonwealth of Australia, you had a very narrow design group, if you like, of people who stood to personally make a lot of money. Mm. And the people who were involved ended up making a lot of money. Narrow design <laughs> group is the most 
beautiful way of explaining that. A sealed information environment, I think, might yeah, be the other one, but yeah. narrow design group is really good. Well, yeah, and this is the thing. I mean, for someone my age, and we all know I'm a little bit older than you, growing up in the 1980s was really interesting because the Hawke-Keating governments were about big visions, yeah. like what is Australia going to look like? What do we want? What are our values? How is everybody brought along with that? And it was actually really exciting. Like I remember when my mother got her Medicare card and this was a day of enormous liberation for yeah. us as a working-class family, this idea that, you know, we were part Whatever of happens, this. Whatever happens, we're yeah, all going to be okay. But we, we were part of a nation, like a nation-building generation. Yeah. And I think that they're, like, I mean, obviously it's very hard. I am a Labor voting Democratic Socialist, so are you. Yeah. And it, people like us get excited about these kind of projects. And I think what's interesting with the positioning of the, the Liberals are offering of, oh, you know, you can't miss Labor, the word that Albanese kept using in his pitch today was opportunity. Yeah. Opportunity. And that's something that really harks back to that Hawke Keating era was that everybody got opportunities under that government. You have an opportunity of getting a technical education. You have an opportunity of managing healthcare. You've got an opportunity of starting small business and the rest of it. And that really spoke to, you know, it spoke to an Australian vision that was expansive and creative. Yeah. And I think that's the right messaging for Labor to run against the risk, 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 because yeah. anybody understands that risk and opportunity. Like go hand in hand. Go hand in hand. And it is about it is about saying the opportunities outweigh the risks. They do. We, and we know, you know, we know now who Morrison is. Maybe in twenty nineteen people didn't feel they knew him very well. Give him a chance. No. All that stuff. Do you have a go, get a go? Well he's had a go and he's stuffed it, right? He oh, stuffed beyond. the vaccine rollout, he stuffed the job keeper stuff. And he stuffed the fires, he stuffed, he stuffed the, fires. the floods. It just goes on and on and on. He, he the, the way he the way he responded to the march for justice and the and the issue of women's safety and equality for women, he's met stuffed with bullets. Up. Like it just goes on and on and on. And, it, and just today was sort of a desperate, you know, I've made mistakes, but stick with me because at least you know what you're gonna get. Whereas with Albo... You know, the slogan of every bad boyfriend ever. Yeah, look, I know I spent the night at Stacey's, but you know I love you. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. he's that guy. And and it's like, well, change. I'll try. I haven't been perfect. Nobody's perfect, love, but you can't do better than me. And it's like, do you know, every time in my own life, I, yeah. and this is no reflection on anyone called Stacey, it's a name I've made yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so as not to use uh, any others. The specifics, yeah. No, but it's just like I found that really familiar. It was just like <laughs> I can do so much better than you. You know, and it really was like I, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've had those relationships too. I think we all had those. We all had them. We have that moment where you go, you know, can I do any better than this? And it was really heartening to hear Albo talk about opportunity. Yeah, the drama. He spends all your money and lives in your house and eats all the food, but doesn't pay rent. But you know, and uh, stayed at Stacey. But 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 Albo talking about secure jobs, talking about better wages, like. And then outlining some of the ways that that would actually happen, because there seems to be this kind of weird media commentary about, well, we don't really know what Labor's going to do. It's like actually, if you do three minutes of research, if they you, have four state and two territory governments, and if you, we know what Labor does, and if you and if you go to their website, it's all there. Like the fact that Albo is not re-announcing the same policy every day. Uh, isn't doesn't mean he doesn't have a policy. 
we've become so conditioned by Morrison announcing and reannouncing the same thing every day or every week or whatever it is. You know, he's announced the same commuter car parks five times. He's, he's announced the Murray-Darling thing eight times. Like he re-announces stuff, right? And so somehow or another the media or big sections of the media in this country have become of the view that unless something is re-announced eight or nine times, it's not really policy. And I hate to tell them this, you know, that's not how policy works. Policy is a process of developing a policy, working with stakeholders on how you might implement it, implementing the policy, reviewing its outcomes, and then going through that process again. Not making just arbitrary announcements based on political convenience and then called, doing it nine times. That's why it's called a policy cycle. The policy cycle that I just outlined is the policy cycle. It's not announce the thing, re-announce the thing, announce the thing again, re-announce it again. And put no money towards it. Let's all remember that that federal ICAC, which Albo, by the way, committed to very explicitly in his pitch today, Morrison promised over a 1,000 days ago, and that was another announcement. Oh, yeah, we're going to have a National Integrity Commission, whatever they were calling it. There's no money for it in the budget. There's no bill before the parliament to get it. That's it's, not – it's not a policy. It's not a thing. There is a real chalk and cheese decision that Australians have to make. And and Morrison's basically saying, look, I know chalk is difficult to chew. I know it's not particularly tasty. And really, it's hard to swallow. But you know that it's chalk, <laughs> whereas cheese could be any kind of cheese. I mean, it could be Roquefort. Could be Brie. Oh. You could find yourself totally tripped up with some quark. Imagine a red Lester. I mean, who, how would we be? Oh, yeah. I was minding my own business. And then the Boccaccini. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I, I like all those. I got mugged by a Gouda. Yeah. I like all those. Havani, <laughs> you betcha. Like, yeah. Oh, nice slice just, of Swiss. I'm just, oh, do you know what I want? And I'm the same because people may know that I lived in the UK for a long time. I've had in British elections. And I'm just overjoyed that Kirsten Hummer is the person right. <laughs> against Boris Johnson because he's sensible and he's yeah. very serious and the world is difficult and complicated and the West has all kinds of problems with the integrity of their democracy. You really all should read my book about QAnon and all of these things and it's just the time for sensible, mature adult leadership, the sort of Trump, Johnson, Morrison, dress up, pretend you're this, pretend you're yeah. that, lie, there are no consequences. You know, pandemic, war in Europe, Climate change, like these are serious problems yeah. and clowns cannot and, solve them. And, and and let's not forget, we now live in, in an age of hugely unequal wealth distribution. You know, Jeff Bezos, uh, Elon Musk, these people are richer than any human beings have ever been and they run companies that treat people worse than companies have treated people since the formation of unions at the very beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Which is why they're always so eager to bust unions. So, that is the dead giveaway. You know, there's lots of union campaigning going on around the country as part of the election, and obviously you can get involved at australianunions.org.au uh, or you can join your union at australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W, for week on Wednesday. But... This election is chalk and cheese, and and I'm just going to keep saying it. You can choose to keep chewing chalk. Like, we've had to chew a bit of chalk. Maybe we didn't realise it was chalk. We didn't ask for chalk. You and I definitely voted and cheese. We definitely voted cheese last time, but maybe some people got confused and they thought maybe the chalk was cheese. Maybe they thought it was a nice, 
tasty piece of you know, icing or something. When I was in year one, I did have the unfortunate experience of fantasising that the orange chalk might taste a bit like orange sherbet and shoved it into my mouth when a teacher wasn't looking and bit into it. And guess what? Definitely chalk. And look, I think I think we all, as children, ate some chalk. We've all done it, <laughs> right? And now as a nation... Who here amongst us has not eaten chalk? And and this is my point. You know, we shouldn't we shouldn't be down on people who made a poor choice last time. What we no. should do is encourage them to make a good choice this time. And I and I just think it's really exciting. Like I think a nice big fat healthy majority Labor government with big fat Labor Senate. Like you know, I'm on the internet way too much, and I get exposed to what I would consider unrepresentative views because a lot of people talk on the internet about things they don't necessarily know about, but yeah. they talk about them very loudly. And the reality is, yes, it is a chalk and cheese decision and anybody going, oh, Labor and Liberal are the coals and Malays of politics is somebody representing a minor party with an agenda, which yeah. is not majoritarian, quite frankly, because the the stark policy difference is there. They are ideologically different. One is a party of pro-business individualists. The other there is a party of pro-worker collectivists. It doesn't get more stark than that in a democratic yeah. society. And, of course, you know, the more power you give to Labor with your vote in the lower house and the upper house, the more they can do. And we see that when Labor get governments in Western Australia where they've protected, like, historic amounts of forests, yeah. in Queensland where they have built all of that amazing solar infrastructure that is transforming far north Queensland, you know, in Victoria where we have trains, we have trains. Yeah. everywhere yeah. and they're made in Victoria. And, and we criminalized wage theft. I mean, you know, that was one of the things Albo said today was and he was and he was right to bring it up, I think, that he, that Morrison was presented with a bill that had support by the majority of the Senate, the majority of the House, the majority of the business community, the majority of the union movement, the majority of Australians that that would have criminalized wage theft. And Morrison pulled it off the agenda. Yeah, and this is the thing. Do you want fairness at work? You need a Labor government. Do you want the things to be built in Australia? Do you want manufacturing policy again? The only party and, that's offering that and, is the Labor and Party. And to your point, you know, look at New South Wales. The trains are not built there. The, the, the ferries are not built there. The trams fall apart. The, the trams, which are not built there, fall apart. Then compare that to Queensland and Victoria, where they build the trams, they build the trains, they build the things that they use, create local jobs, and enhance like local skill sets. And, and what's the key training. difference? New South Wales is a liberal-run state. Queensland and Victoria are labour-run states. And the others don't come into it. Independence cannot bring, and by the very nature of being independence in single-member constituencies, they cannot bring a national vision no. to the policy discussion. That's not who they are. That's great that they represent electorates and they're very sure. tied into their communities, great. But it's and it's the same with the minor parties, you know, like and people go, oh, you know, Labor's campaigning to win votes from the Liberals. It's like, yes. Yeah, absolutely. They are. That's how it works. That's literally <laughs> how you form a majority. Yeah. You know, you have to win the centre and that's why our, our democracy is majoritarian. It is about forming a bigger, most inclusive conversation through government as you can. The alternative is particularism where you have a party of 10% or less, you know, exerting their will over the majority. That's not democratic. And when people are like, oh, you know, if the crossbenchers and the or the Greens get the balance of power, they'll be able to institute their agenda. It's like, one, no, that's not what happens. That's yeah. not even happening in the ACT yeah. where Greens are in, in that government. extremely small yeah. government with Labor. They can't get everything that they, they want yeah. because the Labor Party are not servants to the princelings of the Greens. <laughs> 
and thank God for that. And the way democracy works is that even if you're in, even if you're in government, unless you do have majority in both houses, unless you do have a super majority with a massive floor, popular mandate, you're unlikely to be able to get everything you want. You know, so you certainly not. That's get actually it. a sign that democracy is working. Yeah. If 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 a government gets elected that I have voted for, but they don't give me everything I want, that's actually a sign that they're listening to people who are not like me. And you know, we have to wrap up because this is a weekend wrap, and we, we've gone uh, for we've had a good discussion today. But I do want to just I want to round out by saying the last time in Australia where we had uh, a government uh, that got everything it wanted that hadn't gone to the people and said, this is what we're going to do if you give us control of all the all the mechanisms of government, was the Howard government. And it brought in work choices and it fundamentally tried to reshape the, the workplace environment that Australians operate in. And, of course, everybody went, hang on a minute, I didn't vote for that. And Howard lost not just the election and control of the Senate, he lost control of the House of Representatives, he lost the government. And he lost his own seat. To a woman from the ABC. Such was the backlash. So just remember, vote one Labor, lower house, upper house. Put the Liberals last. Put the Liberals last. And there's six weeks of this campaign. If you're not already enrolled to vote, do go to the AEC. It's aec.org.au. I believe so. Uh, They're also on Twitter. They will answer any question. They're very responsive. Very, very responsive. But make sure your enrolment is up to date because, remember, it's Good Friday on Friday. So do it now. If you're listening to this, jump online. Don't wait. Don't go, I'll do that later on. Don't get distracted by this. Because the roles will close and you will not be able to vote. You will not be able to exercise your democratic right. So, Van, thank you for joining me for the weekend wrap. I hope everybody's enjoyed this discussion. And those beeps and buzzes that you can hear in the background. It's just authenticity. We drip with it. (laughs) We're just surreal. It's, frankly, it's the large number of emails that are coming through on my system now telling me that the election has been called from all the various uh, email lists that I'm on, basically asking me for money. So at this point, <laughs> I'm going to say thank you to everyone who supports the week on well, Wednesday I don't podcast. get those emails because I'm in the yards. They know I have none. I want to say thank you to everybody who supports the week on Wednesday through our Buy Me Coffee. That's buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. You make our audience grow. You are, you are why we do this. It really... The support has been phenomenal. We are continuing to grow the audience. Don't forget to share, like, comment, leave a review, wherever you've got this uh, podcast from. Organise a listening party. Organise a listening party. We Sit down, be- discuss the issues. We're more than happy to, you know, follow up any question. The election will be a big focus for us over the course of the next six weeks. So until Wednesday, love you, Vanny. I love you too. And remember, be kind to yourself and to each other.